Well, good morning, church, both of you, those of you here and those that are also joining us online. Um, my name is Will Corris, as Kat said, I'm a member of the board here at Northview. Um, I really didn't expect to be up here speaking again so soon. I usually get the honor of coming up and doing this once a year around Father's Day, which I did about a month ago, but then I got asked to come up here and speak to you again, and so uh, I said yes. And it's been an interesting three weeks since I said yes, but let me just back up for a second. How many of you have ever had, what's the right, I don't want to say argument, but a discussion with God, he wanted you to do something and you're kind of, I really don't want to, you can be honest. Well, that's been my three weeks. After I was asked to, to preach, um, I went to God and I said, all right, God, what do you want me to talk about? He gave, and he gave me a verse and I kind of sat there and I went, do I have to? Do I really, really have to? And, uh, and as, as Marlise will attest, I spent two weeks not battling God, but saying, okay, God, give me something else to talk about. Give me something else to talk about. Please give me something else to talk about. And he didn't. And uh, so if anybody knows the story of Jonah, and just keep cutting out, Roy. Weird. If I have to go to handheld, let me know. And so, if you don't know the story of Jonah, God had asked him to go to Nineveh, to preach to Nineveh. He said no. He went running away. Like, he physically said no. I never said no to God. Let's be clear about that. And long story short, he ended up in the belly of a whale. And I thought, okay, you know what? I really don't want to end up in the belly of a whale. Okay, God, I will do this. And um, it was weird because I try to be very obedient to God. And I don't know why I didn't want to do that, why I really didn't want to do this, and, uh, and I'm still at a bit of a loss as to, as to what that was all about, um, whether I knew deep in my heart that there was going to be some soul-searching involved of all this. Um, I don't know what that was, but, and I'll save this at the very end, so you've got to stay till the very end, because I know why he asked me to do this particular verse, and I'll share that with you at the very end. So anyway, we're going to be in Romans 12 this morning, so you can turn to your Bibles if you want. Um, and we're going to be specifically looking at Romans 12, verse 1. And just to give you some background, some context here, um, you heard about this from David Mann, you heard about it from me for three weeks, so by the time I'm done with this in the context of Romans, you guys are all going to be experts in it because you're hearing it for the third time in a month. But Romans is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, um, it was an introductory letter that he wrote to the believers in there. There were many Jews in Rome that had already established a church, even though none of the apostles, Paul, Peter, none of them had been there yet. But there's a strong belief among scholars that many of the Jews that were there were there at the day of Pentecost when Peter spoke those strong words and they gave their life to Christ. They came back to Rome, they shared it with others, and they established a church there. And so Paul's writing this introductory letter to them. And he spends the first 11 chapters of this letter outlining the Christian faith, the doctrine of Christian faith, what we believe, and, um, and why we believe it. And then in chapter 12, where we're going to pick up today, he starts talking and transitioning into, okay, these 11 chapters, I've told you all these facts, this is what it means, and this is what it should translate into. Think of the lawyer in the courtroom, and he's got all these witnesses, and he makes all these points, all these cases, all these facts around the case, and then he goes to his closing argument to the jury and says, okay, because of all these facts, 
this is what you should conclude. This should be your takeaway from the first part of this letter. And so I've called this all in. I struggled as to a name for, for this. And by the time I get to the end of this, I think you may understand why I've decided to call this all in. So Becky, if we could just bring up that verse, Romans 12, 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word this morning, as we unpack this, this one verse that is so powerful in our lives, may you just open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word, Lord. As I speak, Lord, may I hide behind the cross and may it be your words that come forth. May your spirit anoint me and use me to communicate this message is a tough message to hear, but it's your truth, and it's one I believe we all need to hear on a regular basis, Father. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. Holy Spirit, meet with us. Open our hearts and minds that we may just take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. It's in your name we pray, O oh Lord. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the power of that verse is part of our Christian walk. It's huge, and I've read this verse a bunch of times. Um, I read it when I was preparing for my Father's Day message and started getting an inkling of just what it was all about. But I stayed away from it because I was talking about something else, knowing that if I got down a trail talking about that, I would never get to the purpose of my message on Father's Day, which was renewal. And I'll be talking about that a little bit in a minute. But it's, it's extremely powerful and it's an extremely um, soul-searching verse when you start unpacking all the truth that's behind it. And to be perfectly honest and transparent, when I read it, you know, I sort of read it as living sacrifice. Okay, you know what? I gave my life to Christ. I'm dead to my old self. There's my living sacrifice. Check mark. Let's move on. Okay? It's a whole lot deeper than that, as we're going to find here in a few minutes. So as we, if you can just bring that up again. There we go. So Paul starts off with the word, Therefore. So there's that, there's that argue, or that lawyer setting up the argument, because of everything that I've talked about in these first 11 chapters, therefore, because of, in conclusion, in summary, and then he talks about, I urge you. Interesting choice of words. He's not commanding us to do it because we have free will. He's not commanding those Romans to do it because they have free will. But he's urging them to do it. He's highly recommending that they do it. He's not being really soft about it, but there's an urgency to it. There's a passion behind that. Therefore, I urge you. And then brothers and sisters, there's a loving undertone to this. You know, Paul had this love for these Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, so much so that he wrote this whole letter to them and this introduction to them. And so that's the undertone of all of this. And then he goes into, in view of God's mercy. He's referring back to the first 11 chapters where he's talked about this mercy of God. And if you haven't read Romans, you need to read Romans. It's strong. It's powerful. There's a lot packed in there. As I've gone through this walk, Pastor Doug, I know why it took you so long to go through the book of Romans in your Bible study. I get it. Um, but in those first 11 chapters, you know, Paul's referring back to, and this is really high level because there's a lot packed into there, but he's talking about the gift of Jesus, the gift of God's Son, 
for the remission of our sins, so that we're broken free of the chain of our sins. Right? There's that whole um, uh, doctrine of God's forgiveness and His grace in our lives purely because we have faith in Jesus, purely because we believe in Jesus, not because we're following rules and following the law. And he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit that resides in us when we become believers. And so when Paul's talking about in view of God's mercy, he's talking about all these mercies. Because of all these mercies of God, I'm urging you. And then he drops the bomb. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now you first, you know, this idea of a living sacrifice. Well, sacrifice was all about killing things. So living sacrifice, is there not a contradiction in terms there? Um, but what Paul's done, he's given these Jewish believers a frame of reference, something that they can um, hold on to that's very, very powerful and quite deep. Excuse me. The Jewish people knew all about sacrifice and what sacrifice meant. You know, if you go back into the book of Leviticus, it talks about the grain offering, the burnt offering, um, the sin offering, the peace offering, the guilt offering. These were all outlined in the Levitical laws, and they were carried out at the temple. And they were these, these were at the heart of Christian worship. And if you read Leviticus, and it's a tough read, it's a tough slug to read through it, um, there is a lot of detail in these. And I wasn't going to do this, but I decided I would. Becky, can you just bring this up? This is an example. So this is Leviticus 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. That's an important point. I'll come back to that. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and if it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you, you are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And I'm going to stop there. But I think that makes my point. It's very detailed, very specific, very um, intricate process that's to be followed to the letter these offerings are to be pleasing to the Lord. And there's a reason for that. And uh, I'm not even going to try to unpack all these different types of sacrifices and what they all mean. It's a great lesson. I did a ton of reading on it just to prepare for this to totally understand it. But key takeaways out of this sacrificial system for the Jewish people and the reason for it was, number one, was reverence for a holy God. As evidenced by the fact that these had to be carried out by the priests, and by the fact that the animals or the grain that was offered uh, in the grain offering, it was choice flour. They were to be the best of the flock. They were to be spotless without defect. The choice flour, the finest flour, the best flour, all pointing back to a holy God and a perfect God. And the other part of this um, system of sacrifice was complete inward and outward obedience, devotion, surrender, and worship to God. That's what this idea and these sacrificial systems were all about. And that's what Paul's saying to the believers. Because of these mercies of God, all those things that we talked about, the gift of His Son, the, um, you know, the fact that we're saved by faith and not by adherence to the law, 
all these things that I've laid out to you in the, pre, in the first 11 chapters, our response should be nothing less than reverence for our holy God and complete inward and outward obedience and devotion to Him. This is your true and proper worship. You know, ultimately, that's what God wants from each and every one of us. You know, if we're to be in a right relationship with Him, worshiping Him with all that we are, with everything we do, and with everything we have, every fiber of our being is called to do that. There were some great lyrics in the worship songs this morning that I had nothing to do with and nothing to plan with, but it talks about, you know, worshiping Him and daily. And those are so powerful and such a reminder that we need to be doing that each and every day. So, what does this look like? Complete inward and outward devotion to and worship of God. Well, first thing we got to remember is these two things go hand in hand. They're not mutually independent of one another. You know, this whole inward and outward worship, it's a whole package. That's why I decided on all in. Inward and outwardly, externally, internally, we need to be in tune, and in worship with God. Are there some people that go through outward motions and the heart's not right? Absolutely. On the flip side, God's working in us internally. It's pretty hard not to show it externally as God's changing us. But we need to let Him. We need to let Him do it and give Him room to do it. In terms of inward devotion, I talked about that on Father's Day. I talked about this whole idea of, it's in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thanks, John. Um, it's, it's all about this change when we accept Jesus into our lives, when we give our heart to Him, this Greek word metanoia, where we change, where we put aside our old self, where there's our new self, we're renewing ourselves. And we need to do this every day, this daily renewal reading our Bible, being in time with prayer with God. And, uh, and I can't unpack it all again, but if you really, really want to know more about that message and you didn't hear it, it's on our website. Search for www.northviewchurch.ca and renewal. And I know that sounds like a really shameless plug, but it's not about me, but if you're interested in, in more of that message, that's where you can find it. But in, in addition to our daily worshiping of God with our internal renewal, the who we are part, there's the external or the outward. What do we do? You know, and uh, what do we do with all those things that God has blessed us with? You know, the worship of God goes far beyond this hour and a half. You want me to use the handheld, Roy? This will be interesting for a Greek guy that talks with his hands. <laughs> I may just have to do this. Um, so this whole idea of worshiping God, it goes far beyond this hour and a half that we spend on Sundays with our hands raised, our hearts open, praising Him. And there is a huge need for this every Sunday. But what about the other 22 and a half hours, or 26 days and 22 and a half hours of the week? This is a 24-7 prospect, people. So you can't go away from here and not worship God with every fiber of your being, every second, and every moment of the day. Here's where this gets challenging, as if that wasn't challenging enough. 
Let's start unpacking this. This all starts with this, with our bodies. Okay? We're talking about the internal renewal of our bodies, but then there's the whole external side of it. What are we doing with our mouths? What are we doing with our eyes? What are we doing with our hands and our feet? And I'm going to start this with, and I'll come back to this in a second, but 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. A couple of months ago, um, there's a song that Hillsong sing called Holy Ground. And I was driving in my truck, and, uh, and the lyrics go, this is holy, this is holy ground. You are holy, Lord, you are with me now. And I don't know what, what tweaked in my mind, and I don't know what the purpose or intent of those lyrics actually are, but I stopped and I wept at that thought that the Holy Spirit is in me. That makes a part of me holy. How dare I do anything to consecrate that holy ground? And it just it shook me to my core. I shared it with Marlies, and I think I shared it with Brock and Diane over lunch. And it really rattled me. And I wept because I realized how unworthy I am of that. But at the same time, there was tears of rejoicing knowing that I have an amazing God that can help me work to that and go through that. But this whole idea of our body as a temple, if you take nothing else away from this morning, it's that thought. That as a Christian believer who has accepted Jesus into his life, and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, you are now the temple of God. When Jesus died on that cross, there was no need for the temple in Jerusalem anymore because the Holy Spirit now comes and lives in every single one of these believers. And you become the temples of God. Think about that, people. The temple of God, a place that is meant to be holy, a place that is meant to be cleaned of junk and nonsense. Think of Jesus and the money changers in the temple and where he flipped, you know, you see in the movies, I don't know what he actually did, but flipped over tables and chased them out of the temple because they had no place there. So if you take nothing else away, take away that thought, to may that just bury itself deep in your soul that you are now a temple of God and a part of you is holy. And our walk with God is all about growing that holiness. You know, there's word, big words that you hear, um, consecration and sanctification, but all that means is making us a little bit more holy each and every day to become more like Jesus and to grow in our walk with God. And we do that with a daily internal and external worship of God. There's no other way but by showing that reverence to him for everything he has done for us. Now, some things about this body, right? Are you doing everything in your life to avoid sin? Now, you know what? We are all sinners. We have moments of unintentional sin. We're human. We're part of a broken world. It happens. But are you doing everything to remove that intentional sin in your life? Matthew 18, 8 to 9 says, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. 
It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Pretty strong words. It's metaphorical to say, if there's something in your life that's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If you have a drinking problem or an addiction to, to drinking, would you even think about having alcohol anywhere near you, anywhere within your reach? Any other addiction, anything else, you know, and I'm going to come to it in a minute, but pornography. If you're up late at night and on your computer and you're watching pornography, I could say get rid of the computer. Might not be necessarily practical, but if it's a big problem, you need to do it. But there are other things to work around that. There's software you can put on your computer. You can have accountability partners. I have Covenant Eye software on every single electronic device I own because I don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. And even if I unintentionally go near that stuff, Pastor Scott Cooper's going to get an email saying, warning, Will's done this. You need to talk to him. And I have a number of friends who are part of that accountability group. I sponsor them on a covenant eyes because I know they need it. And I pay for it. I cover the cost to help keep them accountable because it's so important. There's a, there's a scene in Fireproof. I was going to have it played today, but I decided not to. How many of you, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Kirk Cameron is this, uh, a gentleman, and he's struggling with pornography, st struggling with um, uh, this, this fixation on buying a boat. He's on his computer, and the scene here is he's looking at pictures of this boat that he's just obsessed with and wanting to buy, and the pop-up comes up on the screen. Want to talk or some words to that effect. Anyway, he steps back. Long story short, he struggles for a few minutes, and he reads this, this letter that talks about how things like this are a parasite in our lives. And, uh, and this is in the context of his marriage, but it's still relevant here. And then he ends up taking the computer, taking it outside, and bashing it with a baseball bat. It's a great scene. It's a, it's a wonderful scene. He's got a neighbor that's standing there that's looking at him like he's out of his mind. But that's what we're called to do, to remove that intentional sin from our lives. Knowing this can be bad enough that we unintentionally sin, but that intentional sin needs to come out of our lives. In terms of our bodies, what are you feeding your body, physically and spiritually? You know, the spiritual we talked about uh, on Father's Day with the whole renewal of our mind. But, you know, are you eating healthy? Are you taking care of this temple that God has given you? Are you exercising this temple that God has given you? You know, I'm guilty of not doing that. I'm not exercising nearly as much as I should. It gives me a mental break. I need to still need to shed a few COVID pounds that I'm trying to get rid of. But these are all things that we're supposed to be doing. And it's going to mean different things to different people. You know, everybody can eat different things. Everybody can, you know, have a different amount of exercises they want in their life. But are you doing it? Are you considering it? Are you even thinking about it? Here's one that I hadn't thought of. God put this on my heart. Do you love the body that God has given you? That's a huge one. In a day and age when we're bombarded by society saying you need to be perfect, this is the standard that you need to aspire to. You, know, you hear horror stories of bulimic young women and young people committing suicide because they don't live up to that standard, and it breaks my heart when I hear it. But Psalm 139, 13, 14, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, do we, do we think about that? You know, when Marlies and I were back in Cambridge and we were working with our youth group and we were having a discussion around this topic, 
you know, I, I tried, we talked about that, being fun, wonderfully and fearfully made. But then I gave him the logic argument. If God is perfect, and there's no argument about that, if God made you, and there's no argument about that, then by default, he's made you perfectly. And we need to wrap our minds around that, that that temple that he's made, that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Are you getting the rest you need? That's another big one in our, in our busy, busy society. Um, Exodus 20, 8 to 11, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. I get we live in a weird, in a weird society, a very different society, a mixed up lost society where Sundays are no longer sacred. People have to work. I get that. But take another day of the week and set it aside as your Sabbath. Get the rest you need physically and mentally. The last point I'm going to talk about in terms of the body is this whole issue of sexual immorality. And that's the context of this verse when Paul is writing it in Corinthians. He's writing it to the church in Corinth, and it, things are running rampant in Corinth. And as you read through a lot of Paul's other letters, it's running rampant through the whole Roman Empire. But this whole idea of sexual impurity, sexual immorality. If this body is a temple, how dare we desecrate it? And it's nothing less than that. Desecrating this temple by sexual immorality, by whatever our sexual lifestyle is, by what the pornography that we watch, whatever we do, it defiles the temple of God. Um, you know, I, just, I was reading some statistics while I was doing this, and it, it really, really bothered me and upset me. The rampantness of pornography in the church I'm not going to say Northview is representative of those statistics. I don't know. That's between you and God, and you need to figure that out. But if you look at the statistics, it's upward of 50% of people in the church, males and females, look at pornography on a regular basis. That is just... goes beyond words. It goes beyond words. I subscribe to a newsletter, it's called Church Leaders, Scott got me onto it, and just issue after issue after issue email that comes out, this pastor has fallen from the sin of sexual transgression. Now a lot of this is in the States, but we're not immune to it in Canada either. It is disheartening to see how rampant that is. It's rampant society, and it's close to being just as rampant in the church in many cases. And again, I'm not pointing figures at anybody in Northview. I pray that we are nowhere close to those statistics because that's a huge problem. But how can we worship God day to day if that's got a place in who we are and what we do? Defiling the temple of God. How about work? We spend eight hours a day, sometimes more, working at a job, working in the home, you know, we all have work to do. We were put on this planet to work. 
Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, this is in the context of slaves, and Paul is writing this in terms of, of slaves serving their masters, but that applies to us as well in our workplaces. When you're at work, are you giving work 100%? Are you giving 100% to that employer? Full transparency, I'm struggling with that in my workplace right now. I have to, no pun intended, work at giving 100% every day because my workplace is not pleasant right now. I'm at the point, I'm just keeping my head down, I'm staying out of the fire of all the nonsense that's floating around me and trying to be very diligent in giving 100% every day. And I'll be honest, there are some days when I haven't. And I look back on those days and I ask God to forgive me because I should have. But it's tough and it's not easy. If you're in a mundane job, it's hard. But this comes back to that whole mindset and where our whole internal change um, is, is in such unison with our external change in us and that internal and external worship of God. That even in the most mundane job, we need to change our mindset and think about the fact that, you know what, ultimately we need to think about this as we're working for God, so we better give it our all, 100%. As an employer, are you treating your employees properly, respectfully? Are you treating them all as the children of God that they are? Whether they follow God or not, they're all His children. You know, are you doing everything you can to make their job pleasant, enjoyable, a place they want to be? That's worshiping God every day as an employer. You starting to get the picture here, folks? There is a lot to this, and it's not easy. And I'll come back to that again. Our finances and our stuff, here's a huge one for people. You know, are we tithing regularly with our finances? Are we giving back to God a portion of what He gives us and blesses us with, as we're called to do? You know, Pastor David's sermon last Sunday about kingdoms. Are you taking the finances, the money, and the resources God has blessed you with, and are you building your own little kingdom, or are you using them to build God's kingdom? I need to check myself on that every day. Because I love stuff. I think most of us do. I have a great checking point there because my wife controls the books in the house. <laughs> so she keeps me in check most of the time, and I am so thankful for it. She'll ask me, do you really need that? Do you really need to pick that up? Do you really need to buy that? We need to be making those same decisions, those same thought processes. How are we spending these? I think of the rich young ruler story where he approaches Jesus and says, what do I need to get into heaven? You know, I follow all the rules. I've, I've done everything that's commanded to me. And then Jesus says, sell everything you own. And he walks away. Could you do that? Could you sell everything you own if, if Jesus asked you to do that and follow him and do that? I can honestly say here, I don't know. I really don't know, if I'm honest. If, if he put on my heart, sell everything, I want you to be a missionary overseas, and I want you to do this. 
Could I do it? I don't know. I really and truly don't know. I hope I would be that obedient, but I don't know. Do we worship God? Do we honor God every day in our relationships? Here's a challenging one. How about your spouse? Are you, think about that vow. Are you honoring, cherishing, loving your spouse every day and worshiping God in that process? You know, Marlise and I went through a a study called Cherish a little while back. And um, a lot of it talks about, you know, getting to know the love language of your spouse. And if those of you don't know what that is, it's finding out what's important to them, what makes them feel loved. You know, it, it can be things like gifts, it can be quality time together, it can be acts of service. And, and I remember over many, many years giving gifts to Marlise and kind of getting, oh, thanks. And, 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 not, and that's nothing degrading or anything else, but that's not her love language. Her love language is two of them. It's quality time and it's acts of service. And when we spend time together and when I can do things, if when I can dust and vacuum the house when she doesn't expect it or when she asks me to, that means a whole lot more to her. That's how I can honor, love, cherish her, and worship God all at the same time. Let me give you this thought. We're all sons and daughters, and somebody shared this with me a number of years ago. Then God's my father-in-law. And even though I should be worshiping him and all these other things that I do, I'm not going to do anything but honor and respect my earthly father-in-law, and I did the best that I could when, uh, when he was still with us. But God's my father-in-law. So why would I not treasure this woman that he's put in my life? Why would you not treasure the spouse or the partner? You know, you may just be in a dating relationship. It's no different. You need to honor and cherish and love them as well. Our relationship with our family, you know, that's an extension of our relationship with... Uh, with our spouse, you know, many will have um, black sheep in their family. They may have family members that are very difficult to talk to. But are you still making the effort, or have you just given up on them? Have you just said, "Forget it, I can't do this"? Or are you trying? Are you putting an effort behind it, saying, "You know what, God, part of worshiping you every day is to try and mend those relationships in some way, shape, or form." I have a good friend of mine, he's my accountability partner, and he was very estranged from his family. But he kept working at it and praying about it and praying about it. And again, long story short, there was a beautiful family reunion not that long ago. And they've come back together, they're talking again. And God has done some amazing work there. Because he was faithful in his daily worship of God and working at that. You know, our neighbors, you know, Paul goes on later on in this book of Romans, talks about loving your neighbors, praying for your enemies. That's not easy for anybody. Not at all. But it's what we're called to do. And the great thing is when we do that, it frees our spirit. We're not bound and chained to those feelings towards our enemies or towards our neighbors that may bother us and disturb us. And what's your relationship with your church? Here's an interesting one. Are you a consumer? I'm going to be really blunt about it. Are you a consumer who comes and takes, takes, takes on Sunday? Which is great because we need to come here. We need to be nourished. We need to be fed in times of worship with God. 
But are you giving back to that church family? Are you reaching out to church members that you know are going through a hard time? Are you volunteering in your church, giving back and serving the whole church by volunteering? This is one that I never even thought of until I went through this, but how are you stewarding the earth in your walk every day? Book of Genesis. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God put us here to rule over this earth that he created. He created an amazing earth. And frankly, as human beings as a race, we're not doing a very good job of stewarding this earth very well. But as Christians, we can do our little bit towards that. Worshiping God every day and how we steward the earth. What do things look like? Well, you know, there's, there's this recycling, this, you know, the things that we can do. But one that hit me not that long ago is this whole idea of this disposable society that we live in where we just throw things out and we replace them. And a number of months back, Marlies and I had a problem with our fridge. And um, we both initially turned to the, well, let's get a new one. Let's, uh, we want to get these features. They'd be really nice to have. This is a bit awkward on our current fridge. This would be really neat to get. And then again, my ever-wise wife looked at the price of the new fridge and said, what if we tried to get it fixed? Long story short, that's what we did. And it's still working fine and there's nothing wrong with it. But that needs to be our mindset that let's see if we can fix it first. Let's not just throw it out. You know, I think back to when I was a kid. We got a hole in our sock. We, our moms and, and my grandmothers darned our socks. They fixed the holes. Instead, let's go out and buy some new socks. Now, you know what? I'm not a good sewer, and I know Marlies has been busy. I don't expect her to sew my socks and darn my socks. So I repurpose my holy socks. And I use them for dusters and rags and stuff in my shop. But I don't just throw them out. You know, I have t-shirts, and this drives Marlies nuts. It drives her crazy. I have t-shirts that are all full of holes. They're ratty. If I'm working in my workshop, I look awful. Because I keep all my old clothes. Why would I take something nice in my workshop that might get full of grease or dirt or whatever when I got these other ones that are still perfectly functional? <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. I wouldn't come and wear them to church, but I'm going to wear them in my workshop. I'm not going to throw them out until they're falling off me in pieces or until Marlise gets a hang of it and says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> the last one I'm going to talk to you about this morning is, is our hobbies. And, and again, this is something that... I, I'm in here retyping this at about 10 o'clock last night because I was mulling over and I was you know, meditating on what I was going to say and, and thinking about it. And, and this came to me. It's like our hobbies... Hobbies are great, don't get me wrong. We need them. That's part of our rest time. That's part of our relaxation time. But is that hobby taking away from other areas of your daily life? Has that hobby moved from a passion to an obsession and then become an idol in your life? Just something to think about. You know, I know, I know lots of guys that have, have a lot of hobbies and they are obsessed with those hobbies. I got a son that kind of borders on that a little bit, between cars, now it's in a motorboat. It's like, dude, 
be careful. But it's another area, you know, that's part of our daily life that needs to be walking in worship with God every day. And I know, this sounds radical, doesn't it? This sounds crazy. This sounds impossible. This sounds tough. It is tough, yeah, absolutely. But as believers, we're called to be set apart. We're called to be set apart and different from this world. We're called to be radical. We're called to appear upside down to this world that we live in. And if you're a new believer, I apologize, but if you had any illusion that this Christian walk was going to be easy, I hate to break it to you. There's nothing easy about the words of Jesus that say, take up your cross and follow me. There's nothing easy about that. But there is an amazing good news to all of this. We do not do this alone. I know a guy. You all know him too. We have God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have each other. That's how we can do this on a day-to-day basis. And when we walk as this living sacrifice, day-to-day, sacrificing things of this world while we're here, it's all worth the reward in the end, is it not? Amen? Amen. I'm just going to ask the worship team to, to come on back up. As I was going through all of this, I, uh, you got to know that when I'm, I don't know if I'd make a good pastor or not, because I take weeks to prepare a sermon. <laughs> I take absolute weeks. Maybe it's because I got so much other stuff going on and I couldn't be focused on that, but you know, I read a ton of stuff. I research a ton of stuff. And, and here's another thing. If you want to really understand the Bible, find a little piece of Scripture and prepare a sermon around it. You'll learn it inside out and backwards, trust me. And it's changed my outlook as I've gone through this over the last few weeks about how I'm approaching my Bible and, uh, and my Bible readings. Instead of trying to you know, read as much as I can, I'm trying to really read you spend quality time in that Bible, unpacking what it says. This verse was a huge wake-up call to me in my Bible reading because I thought I had ticked that box off. Yep, living sacrifice. I've changed. No, not even close. Not even close. Anyway, as I was going through this, I came across this hymn. And I'm going to ask you all to stand with me if you're comfortable doing that. I'm going to ask you to just in, you know, Raise your hands. Raise your hands in a receiving posture for God and repeat these words with me because they are so powerful and beautiful. The hymn is called Take My Life and Let It Be. So, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use. Every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasures store. Take myself, and I will be 
ever only all for thee. Amen. Amen. I told you I would share with you what God shared with me, the reason for this message. A number of people have come up here and talked about what God has spoken to them about the future of Northview Church and what he has in store for Northview Church. And I feel it too. I, I know with every fiber of who I am that there are great things coming for Northview Church. But for God to work and God to do that, he needs a church that is wholly in sync with him, revering him with every fiber of their being, worshiping him with every fiber of their being, giving him room to move in their lives. And that starts with every one of us doing that same thing in our individual lives. But remember, we're not doing this alone. We have a way maker, a miracle worker, that can help us do all of this. God bless you all. Have an amazing week. These altars are open for anybody that's needing prayer. And I'm just going to turn it over to Pastor Dave and the worship team.